kind of smells in my house right now. Now, when you uh, walk through the doors, it takes a little moment. Your nostrils kind of need to adjust and get prepared and ready for it. And I know some of you, you're scared right now. Where's this going? There's a paint project taking place in our house. And we've asked a, a company to come in and transform our kitchen and take those uh, stained oak cabinets and turn them white and the, the seafoam green walls and to transform those into this beautiful, modern yet timeless light gray. Right? Sorry if seafoam green might be your favorite color, but it had to go. Like, we were done living in that, okay? So there's this paint project going on, and that means that we had to take out everything out of our cabinets. All the plates, all the dishes, all the pots, all the pans, knickknacks, things long forgotten, small appliances, utensils, you name it, all of it. Clear it out, throw it all in boxes. It's all stacked up on our dining room table right now. We threw some old sheets over there to try and keep it from getting too dusty while they're in there working. And pretty quickly, there were these plastic sheets that were hanging everywhere, kind of created this, this maze that you had to navigate in order to get to our fridge and get food. And we couldn't cook in our kitchen, and so then several times we ate dinner on the floor with plastic forks and spoons. And even after daily regimens of vacuuming, there's still a layer of dust that kind of settles over everything in our house right now. So in addition to the smell, it's been a little bit of an inconvenience. Now, I, I told my family, I told my kids, I said, don't worry, it's, it's going to be great. We just have to live with this for just a little bit, and then afterwards, it is going to be amazing. My kids were not convinced. They were not happy for this inconvenience to their lives. Now, I'm, maybe I'm being a little bit dramatic about it right here before you, but thinking about that inconvenience, it led me to think about other inconveniences that, that we face in our life. Um, moving, right? You got to pack all your stuff into boxes, tape them all up, load them up into a truck. Maybe you have somebody else do it for you. Maybe you do it yourself, but it's all there in the truck. You try and fit it perfectly so nothing's going to get broken, but inevitably something does. And then drive all the way across the country or across town and then unload and unpack for three years or longer, right? A trip to the, the DMV, stand in line, wait, wait, wait some more. But then, oh, then, then you get to drive and operate a vehicle legally, maybe get your license. Construction projects, the traffic that they cause, the slowdowns, your daily commute. But, but after a while, then it'll be better inconveniences in our life. And those inconveniences then, you know, led me to think of others, but discipleship, following Jesus. Would you ever consider that an inconvenience? And today, as we gather around the Gospel of Mark, and if you 
you trust in Jesus, you, you believe in him as your Savior and you rely on him, you, you look forward to all the gifts and the blessings he promises, or maybe you're, you're exploring Jesus, you're learning about him, and, and you're excited about this grace, this amazing free gift that he offers to you, forgiveness of sins, and he holds it out to you, and it is yours. But I have to tell you what Jesus says. I have to tell you that Jesus says that to follow him means a cross. And do you know what a cross is? Because a cross is far more than an inconvenience. Now today as we look at the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is going to say to you and to me, he's going to say that to follow him, we have to learn to lose in order to win. And Jesus calls us to this. Mark's gospel narrative is going to help us to understand why, why we would want to lose to win, why losing might actually possibly be a blessing for us in our lives. We are right smack dab in the middle of Mark's gospel. And right here at the halfway point in this gospel, this writing that Mark has done, it's all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. Mark strategically places a question from Jesus that is of the ultimate importance. Who do you say I am? Now, to be fair, before that, he asked this question, who do the people say that I am? And many great accolades were given to Jesus. John the Baptist must have been risen from the dead. A powerful preacher, popular among the people. Elijah, this huge historical figure from Israel's past. A prophet and a messenger of God. He had remained faithful when very few people had. And he had stood up to the likes of Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. Other prophets, those, those messengers of God who clearly proclaimed God's own message to his people. And yes, Jesus was a powerful preacher. Yes, Jesus clearly proclaimed God's message. Yes, Jesus stood up to those who were unjust who used their power and authority in evil and wicked ways. Yes, Jesus did all of that, but none of these answers fully captured who Jesus was. Peter did. Messiah. The one. The one anointed and chosen by God. The one that God had promised over countless centuries and millennia. The one who would come to save his people, to rescue them. Peter got it right. Except maybe Peter and the rest of Jesus' disciples, maybe they didn't fully grasp what it meant if Jesus was Messiah. And so Jesus was going to clarify. And he was going to remind them in his words He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days 
rise again. Jesus made it very clear to Peter and the rest of the disciples that there is no salvation apart from suffering. That for Jesus to be the Messiah, it meant suffering. And it meant suffering for him, but it also would mean suffering for them. And this was really a turning point in the instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples as he shared with them all that this entailed. And I really wondered, did Jesus maybe go back to some things that the disciples would have known, they would have remembered from God's word? Maybe he used something like, like Psalm 22, and, and he clearly explained to the disciples that David's words in that psalm, they weren't purely autobiographical about his own life, but really they pointed ahead to the Messiah, to, to Jesus. And did he show them that this Messiah would be forsaken? That he would be mocked and insulted? That he would be considered a worm and not a man, as Psalm 22 says? That his hands and his feet would be pierced? Now, how did Jesus help them to understand that there is no suffering without, there's no salvation without suffering? And how shocking that would have been to those disciples to hear that. I mean, they had seen Jesus in his power, in his might, (laughs) miracles, healings. This is the guy who opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. This is the guy who loosened the tongues of the mute and allowed them to speak. This is the guy who drove out demons. This is the guy who walked on water, who calmed the raging tantrum of the thunderstorm, who raised people up from the dead. In the disciples' eyes, he was invincible. And now they heard this. Uh, Do you ever get to that point in uh, the superhero movie like I do? Where it's that guy, right? That guy who can fly. He can shoot lasers out of his eyeballs. He can lift up cars like they're marshmallows. And that guy, that guy starts to falter. That guy starts to fail. And even though you know it's fiction, like there kind of gets this like pit in your stomach, in your heart. Could it actually be true that he is going to be defeated? And you don't want that, right? Because he's the hero. And so in your mind, you're thinking, come on, man, just get up. Use your superhuman power. Find your strength. Show those evil characters what you're made of. But Jesus clearly showed that it wouldn't be his superhuman strength, but it would be his humanity that would be made clear. His humanity as he succumbed to mortality. And it would have shocked those disciples that that's what it meant to be the Messiah. It was incomprehensible for them. But Jesus made it fully clear that this path forward, it was going to get hard. Suffering was coming. This race, the final stretch of this race, it would be excruciating, literally excruciating. You know what that word means? It comes from Latin, ex and crux, 
from a cross, from an instrument of torture. He would go through suffering. And it was necessary. And Jesus, we're told, he spoke very plainly about this. He was open. He was blunt. He was honest. He was forward. And so Peter stood up, and Peter was his friend. He wanted to be his friend. And so Peter took him aside. He wanted to give him the pep talk. But sometimes you don't need a pep talk. You need the truth. Get behind me, Satan. And why is Jesus so harsh? Why does Jesus call his friend Peter, his best friend, why does he call him his worst enemy? Well, you know what Peter did? Peter put the biggest temptation in front of Jesus that he possibly could. No, Jesus, this doesn't have to happen, not to you. There's another way, there's another path, there's another choice that you could make. You you don't have to suffer. You you can stop. Peter was was telling Jesus that you, you, you could quit this race. You wouldn't have to go through that excruciating pain. Not you. A real temptation in front of Jesus to quit. But if Jesus did that, then you and I would be lost. You and I would have no hope and no future. And so Peter was using the wrong kind of logic, and Jesus explained where Peter's logic was coming from. Peter had in mind human concerns. Not the concerns of God. Peter had in mind our pain, our challenge, our inconveniences. The things that affect us in the moment. The things that we see right in front of us. And so it just, it didn't make sense to Peter. And sometimes the way that God operates and the decisions God makes, they don't make sense to us either, right? But can I tell you the truth? You don't want a God who makes sense to you. A God who makes sense to you would be a horrible God. A God who operates the way that you do and thinks the way that you think would be terrible. You do not want a God that you can make sense of. No, don't we want a God who is above us? who is greater than us, who is smarter than us, who is wiser than us. Don't you want a God who is a champion of compassion, a genius of generosity, a savant of salvation? Isn't that the kind of God that we want? You see, God's concern was Peter's soul and your soul. God's concern was your eternity. And that's why it had to be this way. 
That's why Jesus had inconvenienced himself. He had come down from heaven to take on our flesh and blood and to be our Savior and to go through suffering, to go and carry his cross. And he would carry that physical cross, the one that his body was too exhausted to even get up to the top of that hill where it would become the method of his execution. He carried that cross. But he also carried the cross of your guilt and your shame and all your sin. He carried that cross for you. And he died there on that physical cross so that you could be forgiven of all that guilt, all that shame. He set you free for all eternity. And so sometimes as you go through this life and as you face suffering and you face challenge, maybe you don't need the pep talk, but maybe you need that truth that Jesus bore his cross for you. You need the truth and the hope that the gospel brings. And Jesus said it, he would rise again. There was hope, there was future. But it came through a whole lot of suffering. And so Jesus then speaks very plainly, not only about himself, but he speaks very plainly to you and I. And he tells us that there is no Christian apart from their cross. He called the crowd together with his disciples. He called them to him side. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And this would have been another shock for the disciples because remember, they haven't run with Jesus to his cross yet. So why is Jesus bringing up a cross? Why is he bringing up this Roman instrument of torture and telling his followers, you need to carry this? But Jesus needed to be clear. He needed to impress upon their hearts and on yours that there is no Christian apart from the cross. There is no life without death. There is no glory without first humility and a denial of self. And so Jesus calls you and I, he calls us to carry our crosses. Now what is a cross for the Christian? It can be anything really. Any kind of challenge, any kind of suffering, anything that you face that calls you to deny yourself and instead rely on God. To take your focus off of self, because when our focus is on self, then we rely on self. And we don't rely on our God. And so here, Jesus calls us then to make comparisons. And as we make these comparisons, he calls us to compare to what you will gain as you follow Jesus. So just think about these comparisons that Jesus makes us, asks us to call, and how we can lose in order to win. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And the word life here, it refers to your entire being, your whole existence, not just your, your physical life, but, but everything, your identity, everything that makes up who you are. And Jesus says, if you're willing to, to lose that so that you can gain me, then you'll save it. 
to gain the hope that is found in the gospel. Jesus calls us to compare this life and this world to the amazing and incredible gift of grace that he gives. He calls us to, to, instead of forfeiting our souls, to forfeit this world and this life and gain our souls. And then finally, this comparison when he says, for if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, compare that, an adulterous and sinful generation, compare that with the Father's glory and being in his presence and all of his holy angels. Lose this sinful and adulterous generation and gain the Father's glory, the Father's presence. And I think when we have these comparisons in mind and we can gain the the perspective of God and his focus where he is concerned about our eternity, it can be so helpful. Because sometimes in our desire to be a true friend and a good friend, like Peter did, I wonder if sometimes the words that we share with others might actually be coming from the mouth of Satan and not the mouth of our God and our Savior Jesus. Have you ever come up to somebody when they're going through something difficult, they're going through a suffering, they're going through a challenge, and and you say to them, this too shall pass? Or, it's all going to be okay? Or even, God's got this, don't worry? Now, all of those phrases are true if you have the right perspective. If you have the perspective that Jesus gives us, the perspective of the cross, then all of those phrases will be true. But if we don't have that perspective, then we might be placing a massive temptation in front of people to turn away from those crosses, to turn away from those sufferings, to turn away from their reliance on God and to a reliance on themselves. Don't get me wrong, we need encouragement. In those moments of suffering and challenge, we need to encourage one another, but we need the encouragement that God gives. We don't need the pep talk, we need the truth. We need the encouragement when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Trust in me. Put your hope in me and in what I have done, in the cross that I have carried for you. Follow me. And then we know that those statements will be true. Yes, it will pass. It will pass as you pass into eternal glory, surrounded by God's holy angels. Yes, don't worry. God's got this because he's got you. And his plans are always better than ours. And his plan included the sending of his son, Jesus, to be your savior. But his plan might also include a cross that you bear. But he's got you, and he will carry you. It will all be all right. When you are basking in the glory of God's kingdom, it will all be all right. 
So dear friends, when you reflect on this life, when you look back 10,000 years from now, when you've been worshiping and praising your God in the joy and bliss of eternity, and you look back on this life, what's it going to look like to you? All that suffering, all that pain, the crosses that you bore, the crosses that God used to, to call you to rely on him and trust in him. I think in that moment, it will simply be a minor inconvenience for a moment. And so you and I, we have seen the kingdom of God come. We've seen the kingdom of God come in Jesus and in the cross that he bore for us. So let's follow him. Let's be ready for the inconveniences. Let's be ready for the crosses he calls us to bury. Let's run this race through suffering and challenge. Let's carry our crosses knowing and looking ahead to the hope and the goal that he gives us. Let's be willing to lose because we know that we're going to gain Jesus. Amen? Amen.